0: The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Good morning, I'm Pastor Chris. Glad to have you with us today. It is beautiful outside today. Uh, how many of you are watching basketball today? It's like 2, what is it, 2.20? Yeah, there you go. Man, South Carolina, Florida. Uh, you know, no one really cares about basketball around here. But anyway, No. I'm, I'm pulling for you guys. I, I, hope, I hope you represent the state. Well, you already have. You've represented the state well, and, and I hope you, uh, hope you win. Um, hey, I, I want to pr- thank everybody for your concern about my injury. I've had several people ask me. Uh, I, I didn't really think anybody would notice it, but uh, a bunch of people this morning have asked me about my little, uh, my thumb, and I, I had no idea how much you need your thumb and how, how important your thumb is until uh, last night. So I've got to tell you a little story. How many of you... Um, enjoy uh, a great salad. You love a good salad. Anybody been to Verde? Verde salads. Wow. That's like one of my favorite go-to uh, salad places uh, here in Charleston. And uh, so I, I, you know, I, go there, I got a little card, you know, I get it stamped and all that. And uh, they got the, the salad chopper, right? So you know where this is probably headed already. So at Christmas, uh, for, for Christmas, Janet got me uh, a salad chopper, right? You know, man, the thing is, I mean, it's a, it's a, it looks like something from, like, the Wolverine would have, like, on his hand or whatever, and, uh, and, a, and a really cool stainless steel bowl, and uh, truthfully, I've used the bowl for a lot of things, but I haven't chopped my own salad until last night, and uh, so, I, yeah, I was all excited, got a lot of cool vegetables, and put it in my big bowl, and got out the salad chopper. And I start going to town, and and I'm doing really good. Everything's great. And I guess I kind of, I just kind of moved my hand a little bit and went wham! And just uh, blood gushing everywhere. And uh, the salad was awesome, though. I feel like it had a little bit extra protein. It was a little juicier than normal. Um, It was really good, but... Anyway, I guess that's why paid professionals chop salads and evidently not stupid pastors don't know what they're doing with the salad chopper. But anyway, so I don't know why I told you all that, but thanks for your concern, your prayers, and hopefully um, it'll, it'll get better. Hey, um, one other little announcement, and that is uh, our membership class is this Saturday, uh, April the 1st. And so if you're interested in that and want to make Coastal uh, your home, we'd love for you to uh, be a part of that. And the Connect card and... Uh, Uh, announcement sheet kind of explain all of that stuff. But we're in week three of this series called Joy, and uh, today I want to talk about getting along with other people. Because without a doubt, uh, one of the major causes of uh, a lack of joy, uh, one of the things we allow to rob us of our joy, is definitely strained relationships. So many marriages start out in wedlock and they end up in deadlock. I heard a guy tell me one time that he was married. uh, They were married by a justice of the peace and since then they have had neither, Uh, justice or peace. Um, So how do you do that? You know, how do you get along with other people? Um, I really think unity is one of the keys of that process and we just got finished a short little series here at Coastal called United We Stand where we talked about unity and uh, I, I believe that unity is a key ingredient for success and fulfillment in life and in relationships. And if you want to have a successful business, if you want to have a successful team, a successful uh, company, uh, a successful marriage, you gotta learn uh, to work together. You gotta learn to get along. Very little is accomplished in life by yourself. Um, You gotta involve other people. Uh, Success is never just a one-man show. You've got to learn cooperation. And where there is unity, typically there's a lot of power and a lot of potential. The problem is, though, we don't put that into practice and we don't uh, get along well with others. And uh, so that's what I want us to talk about today. It just so happens that here in Philippians chapter 2, I think Paul kind of tells us how to do that. Uh, Follow along as I read verses 1 through 2 there in the first part of Philippians 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and purpose. Uh, He gives us some expressions of unity here. And he says, you know, be like-minded. Have the same love be one in spirit, one in purpose, man, I just, I love that. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that that verse right there uh, reflects your marriage, you know, your family, your relationships, uh, you know, one in spirit, one in purpose, like-minded, one in love. Man, that's a great, uh, a, a great passage, a great description of what a relationship could look like. Well, the next several verses, I believe, show us how that's possible. And uh, today, I want this. This could be pretty simple, but I think it's going to be very, very practical about how to get along, uh, how to create that type of unity in your relationships. In fact, I, I believe in the message of these uh, these verses so much that n- probably ninety five percent of the time of all the marriages that I officiate in perform. Uh, I quote this passage. I reflect on this passage. So I want this to make sense to you today. And I want you to walk out of here being able to put some of this into practice and have unity in your relationships. Let's talk about that. Number one, if you want to get along, if you want to create unity in your relationships, you've got to stop competing. You've got to stop competing. Now, let let me begin by saying that in my own human nature, I am a very competitive person. I do not like to lose. In fact, raise your hand this morning if you're a competitive person. You see, some of you even raised your hand fast, didn't you? You're like, "I'm going to win. I'm the winner. Faster than you, loser. You know, winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's the way you are, right? I mean, I, I think I've shared this story one time before, but let me let me tell you again. I am so competitive that, like, you know, of course, you know, i lost. Uh, I lost some weight this past year, and I'm still, you know, losing weight and. And uh, we, so, you know, Bod for God, you know, one of the reasons Bod for God works so well for me is that I want to win. And we are like on a team, and, you know, our team, you know, whoever lost the most weight, your team won. Um, I'm so competitive that. Uh, I was a part of a lunch buddy program over at Oakland Elementary School one time. And it's it's a really good idea. There's some kids that, you know, struggle a little bit and they just need like an adult to come and sit down, you know, have lunch with them, have a conversation. And then typically they would have a little extra time for you to, uh, you know, spend with your lunch buddy where you could, they bring out some board games. And so I'm, here I am, you know, this little kid needs some encouragement and love and attention, and we're playing Candyland, Candyland with an eight-year-old. And I mean, I am, I am actually praying in my mind that he will land in Molasses Swamp. You know, I'm like, I want, you're, you're going down, you know, and I'm, I'm just messed up. And, and some of you are like that. The problem, though, here's what we do. We tend to compete with people even on our own team and in our own families, and in our own church. And uh, we're always trying to prove, you know, I'm smarter than everybody else. And, and we, we get in these situations where we even try to, we want to underscore where, you know, where we have some weaknesses, but we want to really emphasize, you know, where we're strong. And we, we leverage, we put ourselves in situations where we're going to always be in the winner circle. You know, instead... You know, what Paul is saying here is, listen, it's not all about you. You know, look to make other people successful. Put other people in situations where they shine, where they win. You ever find yourself even competing with your husband or your wife? I mean, I see a lot of marriages where husbands and wives are not complimenting each other as much as they are competing with each other and, and keeping score. Verse 3 says, do nothing out of selfish." Ambition. The Phillips translation says, "Never act out of motives of rivalry." Uh, any of you uh, grew up in sibling rivalries? You know, with brothers and sisters, right? Where you you competed as to who got the biggest bowl of ice cream, right? You know, you get arguments over stuff like that. Who got to sit in the front seat, you know, shotgun, or uh, what television show, you know, you got to watch. And the problem is, though, we grow up, and we're still competing with our brothers and sisters uh, in Christ, or in, in a relationship, in our marriages, and in the church, and we're supposed to be on the same team. Uh, James chapter four says, what causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. He's saying one of the primary causes of, of fighting, of conflict, are these competing selfish desires. We want the same parking spot. We want to watch different television shows. And we live in a world that just preaches instant gratification. And so when my needs... Conflict with your needs, and we're competing, we got trouble. Number two, if you want to stop, uh, if you want to get along with people, if you want to encourage unity in your relationships, eliminate pride. Eliminate pride. Stop doing things just to bring attention to yourself, to show off. Look at the next part of verse 3. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or what? What's the next two words? Vain conceit. The Phillips translation says, never act from motives of personal vanity. Uh, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, and haughtiness before a fall. You know, on any athletic team, all it takes is one person with a superego, and it will just ruin team spirit. That's true in a company, that's true in a dating relationship, and it's especially true in a marriage. Look at this next verse, Proverbs 1310 Pride leads to arguments. Those who take advice are wise. Man, if you're married, you ought to memorize that verse. Pride leads to arguments. Let me ask you. Have have you ever been in an argument where you just knew that you were flat out wrong, but you were too proud to admit it? Like, that happens to my wife Janet all the time. (laughs) I just know it does. I know it. Um, single adults. Let me talk to you just for a second. Let me let you in on a little relational secret. And this is especially true. I'm all kind of trouble with my little earpiece here this morning. This is especially true for single women. The more secure you are, okay, in who you are, and who God made you to be, and what God says about you, and the more you let God love you, the less likely it is that you are going to be attracted to a conceited, prideful jerk. Insecure people, insecure women are easy prey, and they settle, because they don't know who they are. They don't know whose they are. Listen, you are beautiful. And you are a daughter of the king. And don't settle. Now, if the person you are dating always has to be right, is an expert on everything, listen to me. Run. Okay, run, get out now. You you are in for a world of future hurt and pain. There is a huge difference between confidence and selfish pride. But because of your own insecurity, you have told yourself, well, he's just confident. No, he's not. He's a selfish jerkwad, okay? And everybody else around you knows it. There is a difference. True confidence flows out of a humble walk with God. And they either have that or they don't. Pride flows from selfishness. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Ultimately, what he's talking about here is just good old-fashioned selfishness. Look at the rest of verse 3. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Man, this is radical stuff. Look at that. Treat others better than yourself. In humility, consider others better. Man, that's the exact opposite of what we see in our world today, right? You know, in, in our country, we have elevated selfishness to a character quality, to an art form. Now, what is humility? This is important. He says, but in humility. Humility is not thinking uh, thinking less of yourself, okay? It's thinking of yourself less. In other words, it's, it's a change of focus. The focus is just not on yourself. He says, uh, consider others better than yourself. He's not saying superior. He's not saying that you think of yourself, you know, think poorly of yourself. It's just that you're other sinner, not self sinner. Number three, be considerate. Be considerate. Look at verse four. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Uh, The Greek word there where it says look, each of you should look, is the word skopos. It's it's where we get our word for scope, okay? Like the scope on a rifle. Now he's not saying shoot them dead, okay? That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, listen to this. Hone in on their needs. Telescope in on their needs. Pay attention to the needs of other people. Can't you see why this is so radically profound in a marriage? Because if a husband is doing this for a wife and a wife is doing this for her husband, wow, what a beautiful thing. But this is is so profound because we don't do it. And that's why we have problems in our marriage. That's why we have problems with our kids, with the people that we work with. Because typically, we only pay attention to our needs. He says, don't just look. Don't just pay attention to your own interests. Pay attention to the interests of others. That's consideration. That's how you demonstrate consideration. Let me ask you, can you name the five greatest uh, needs or interests of your husband? Yeah, sure, Pastor Chris. Sex, 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 let me think. No. Or of your wife. Can you name the five greatest needs or interests of your your kids? I mean, right now, without even thinking. Bam, bam, bam. With, you know, because you know them, because you pay attention. You've honed in. And see, it's so easy just to get wrapped up in our own little world that we become preoccupied. We become insensitive. You know, we come home. From work, and we're tired, the day's stuff is on our mind, and we just want to sit down and bury ourselves in the computer or television, and then we just forget that there's all these other people in our lives, and they need our love and they need our attention. And all we're doing day after day after day is just paying attention to ourselves. The Bible says, if you want to lower conflict and increase unity, be considerate. Look at this next verse, 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be what? Considerate. As you live with your wives, so that nothing, listen to this, this is interesting, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Men, did you know that the way you treat your wife has an effect on your prayer life? You know, you're you're praying for success in your business. You're praying for success in your personal life. And the Bible says it is directly related to how you get along with your wife. Now, I think the principle there is for both of us. It says, be considerate of each other so that nothing will hinder our connection with God. You see, when I'm insensitive to other other people's needs, when I only see myself and my feelings and how tired I am and how pressured I am, what I want to do on my day off, when I'm insensitive to other people, it creates conflict. Men, husbands, the next time you come home and your wife says, why didn't you call me and tell me you were going to be late? You look her in the eye and you say, honey, I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. Now, when she picks herself off of the floor, (laughs) then you say to her, and the next time, I'm going to be more considerate. You just watch what happens. Now again, nothing that I'm saying today is new, we just don't, we don't do it. And Paul's giving us very simple but very practical steps on how to get along with other people, how to create that that idea of being one in heart, one in mind, one in purpose. He says, stop competing, stop keeping score with the people that you love. Eliminate pride, it's not all about you. Be considerate, hone in on the needs of other people. And, And again, what an awesome thing when we begin to do that for one another. And then finally, verse four, this brings it all together. Be like Christ, be like Jesus. Verse five, your attitude then should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Jesus is the master at relationships. He's our model, he's our example. And if you wanna learn how to get along with other people, you gotta look to him. Paul says, have that kind of mindset, have that attitude. So what is that attitude? Okay, Paul, what are you talking about? What does that look like? Well, he explains it in the verses that follow. Look at verse six. Though he was God okay he did not demand and cling to his rights as god one translation says he didn't selfishly hold on to his rights in other words he was in heaven with god he decided to give all that up here's what he did write this down he didn't demand his rights you never see jesus walking around jerusalem going i've got my rights i've got my rights Let me tell you something. The person who yields their rights to God gets God as the defender of their rights. Who do you want defending you? Yourself or God? Who's gonna do a better job? Who has more options? Who will make sure it works together for good? God. Look at verse seven. He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And what you you notice here is that there is a progression of Jesus going from heaven to earth. Earth is a man, not just a man, but a servant. He had a serving attitude. He had a serving attitude. One of the ways you can tell if you have a servant's heart, a servant's attitude is, how do you respond when other people treat you like one? Treat you like a servant. Verse 8, and then being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. He was willing to sacrifice for the benefit of other people. What what you see here is Jesus going from heaven becomes a, a man, not just a man, but a servant. Not just a servant, but he's willing to die. He keeps going lower and lower and lower. And yet what we see in relationships is we're always trying to get higher and one up and competing. And it's all about me. And he says, that's not the path. And it's so totally different from what the world teaches. Let me just say something. It is impossible to live that way on your own. Because my nature, your nature, human nature, is to only think about me. It's selfishness. You can't live totally unselfishly with your spouse. You can't live totally unselfishly with the people you work with, with your kids. You can't do that all by yourself. It says, let this attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, is is there conflict in your home right now? You have some tension going on in your home. Man, you need Jesus right at the center of it. Is there conflict at your workplace? You need to exhibit the spirit of Christ there, even if no one else does. Look at Ephesians 4, 3. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. He's saying, that the spirit that puts unity in our lives, in our families, and in our marriage, it happens through, through Christ. I'm saying in order for you to get along with other people, we've got to grow and become more and more like him. Now, this is important. Listen to this. Being like Jesus, because we'll, we'll say stuff like that a lot. You know, be like Christ. Be like, you know, be like Mike. Be like Jesus, okay? It's not a matter of just imitation. It's actually a matter of Habitation. You know, you say, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like Jesus if it kills me. Well, it might, you know. It just might because he was perfect and you're not. It's a matter of habitation. It's a, it's a matter of letting him live through you. It's a matter of cooperating with him and his spirit. Every single day where you consciously choose to put somebody else's rights and needs ahead of your own, you're letting Jesus live through you. When I consciously choose to serve my wife, to serve my kids, when when you consciously choose to serve your coworkers, to build people up instead of tear them down through encouragement, when you choose to sacrifice for the benefit of other people, you're letting Jesus live through you. And I'm telling you, that's one of the secrets to unity and to lasting joy. Last week I said that one of the reasons why there's so much unhappiness and a lack of joy in our world, so many miserable people is because there is this total preoccupation with ourselves. What's going to make me happy? It's all about me. And as long as you're asking yourself that question, you're asking the wrong question and you're never going to be happy. You've got to have a purpose bigger than yourself to live for. You know, I've said this before. You know, if you're... The problem with being a self made man is that you end up worshiping your maker. And that's a mighty small God. Now, let's, let's get really practical with this this morning. Is there any competition going on in your marriage? I mean, are you competing over free time, over money? Are you keeping score? Let me, let me save you today thousands of dollars in marriage counseling. This will save you like two, three sessions with a marriage counselor. Are you ready for this? The root of most relational problems is just selfishness. Me first. Put that aside. Lay it down. Listen, the biggest waste of time In a counseling environment, when I sit down with people, it's people trying to prove who's right and who's wrong. It's time to lay that down and focus on, you know, what can we do together to make this better? Now, what about this issue of pride? You gotta have your way all the time. Does everything and everyone revolve around you? Are you willing to admit it when you're wrong, teenagers? Is it possible your parent might just be right? Some of your parents will yes, Pastor Chris, preach it, keep going. <laughs> parents, let me ask you a question: Is it possible your teenager might just be right? You know. I will honestly say that nothing has helped to bring healing and closeness faster in my own relationship with Janet and my two kids than when I humbled myself enough to go to them and say, I was wrong. Forgive me. What did that verse say? Pride leads to arguments in families, where you work, with your friends, and in the church? How about consideration? Are you considerate with those people who are close to you? Have you, have you honed in on their needs? Are you, do you take into consideration the emotional needs of your spouse? Or do you just pretend they don't exist? do you take into consideration the sexual needs of your spouse or do you just pretend they don't exist be considered the bible says is a key to harmony and unity now here's the good news it's possible to live a happy joy-filled satisfying life with the other people in your life it is possible I know it looks like it's not. I know you know we live in a world where it seems like everybody's arguing, nobody's getting along, parents and kids, husbands and wives, employee, employer, black and white, rich and poor, Republican, Democrat, everybody seems to be in an adversarial relationship. But it is possible to live in harmony with the people around you. It's possible to have a meaningful relationship with that person that you married 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, how? The solution is letting Christ live through you. Because when Jesus is in me and Jesus is in you, Jesus will find a way to get along with Jesus. And let me just say this, wherever there is disunity, disunity, I'll say this up front. Wherever there is disunity, there is sin. Somebody's not living like Jesus. And again, these things are so simple and yet sometimes I think they're the very first things that we forget. Stop competing. Stop being so prideful. Be considerate and be like Christ. Listen, listen, Jesus cannot live through you until Jesus is in you. And some of you are here today and you've been coming and you've been kicking the tires and you've been thinking about it. Listen, what are you waiting on? You know, Jesus is not just the best way to die. He is the best way to live. But the truth is we are all going to die. We are going to stand before a holy God one day and even the shadow of a sin in our life is gonna jump out in his presence because he's the standard. Not me, not you, not your neighbor, not your coworker, not Billy Graham, not Mother Teresa, not the Pope. It's the holiness of God. And there's only one way we can be in his presence, that we are covered by the blood of Christ, by his forgiveness. And if you will receive him by faith, if you will put your trust and your belief in Him and what He did for you, He will come into your life and then that day, that day that will come, when you stand before God, when He looks at you, He won't see the sin and the shame and the stain and the sin. He'll look at you and He'll see Jesus and He'll say, perfect. Come on in. It's not just the best way to die. It is, though, the best way to live. That's where joy comes from. That's where the power comes from to live the kind of life we're talking about today. And that's where that patience comes from when you're living that kind of life with other people who don't know him. So why not come to know him today? You come by faith. Open up your life and your heart and receive him today by faith into your life. It is as beautiful and yet as simple as a prayer. Some of you think, well, you know, Pastor Chris, I got, I got too many things in my life. I got to clean up. I'm not, I'm not ready for that decision. I'm, I'm not good enough. You don't have to be good enough. It's not about you. It's about putting your faith in the only one who ever was good enough. That's him. Come home today, today. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.